Hey everybody, this is Brian Janikowski, Christian Thwaites, uh, on Friday, May the 12th, the events of the week. And this is Emily Taken Verts, and let's get started. So, uh, Christian, this week you mentioned kind of the sideways action of the market since early March, um, really not gone anywhere since then. Uh, this complacency, I think, is a little bit unsettling. Uh, is this something that investors should be worried about? Is this a calm before a storm? I don't think they should be worrying about it. As you mentioned, the, uh, the S&P has really gone nowhere since March. It peaked about 3,200. 3, it's, it's flirted with the 3,400 level, but it hasn't really moved very much since. And more importantly for us, I think, is the 10-year uh, Treasury, which has traded between this 220 and 240 range. I don't think it's any calm before the storm. We do have some seasonality. We've just finished the earnings seasons. That's 90% uh, uh, complete at this point with some very good numbers. Uh, and then we do go into this typical sell in May, go away. It's not always true of every year, of course, but there definitely is uh, sort of slightly less activity in the sort of May-June period. So uh, it, I think it's been more the absence of uh, meaningful economic and market moving data, although it's been a busy political week. Um, and I don't think we have to worry about some sort of pent up fear uh, or sort of uh, cataclysm hitting the market at all. What about the VIX? We've been hearing that it's uh, unusually unusually low lately. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, the VIX, you know, it's it's it, the, the VIX is often talked about as the fear index. It's an index which is at this point nearly about twenty five years old. It measures volatility on the Chicago Board Options Exchange. I personally think it's a very imprecise measure of volatility. But it is at extreme lows right now. In fact, last year it closed at under 10 for only the fourth time since 1993. And to give you an idea of that, during the peak of the crisis in 2008-2009, we had VIX measures of 70 and 80, and it might have even peaked at 90. But for most of the last uh, year, it's been trending down. And right now it's on a one-year moving average of about 13 and 10. So what does it mean? I, I think that there is just not a lot of concern that prices are going to move quickly in either direction. And also today there's a lot of passive investing, a lot of volume, which is quite good at price discovery. So there's uh, less constant change in stock prices which means that options will be typically less volatile because they're obviously taking a position on either a sell or a buy sometime out in the future. So the less volatile the prices are because there's more price discovery, the less volatile the options are going to be, which means there's less implied volatility, which means there's less VIX. I know it sounds like a very <laughs> circular argument and we've tried to explain a little bit on the blog, but. I don't think, bottom line, that it's a concern of either the pent-up fear that you talked about right. uh, or over-complacency on the market's behalf. It's just it's really reflecting the fact that there's an awful lot of efficiency in the market right now. Turning to international markets, you had an interesting uh, graph in the blog that showed that in the last couple of years, uh, U.S. Uh, the U.S. stock market has gotten about 40% more expensive while Japanese stock valuations have not changed much. Does this mean that this, the U.S. stock market is overvalued or does it mean that it's just relatively expensive or does it mean that the Japanese stock market is undervalued? 
It means the latter. You put your finger right on it. It's. Uh, I think the U.S. market it has got more expensive on that measure that we've used the 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 enterprise value over EBITDA, which is just a way to uh, coordinate different accounting methodology between the Japanese and the U.S. markets because price earnings has all sorts of accounting differentials in them. So this is a way to at least normalize them a little bit, and. The U.S. market has gone from about eight to eleven times, so it's got it's got richer and more expensive by that measure. But for some good reasons, uh, growth has been good. Uh, interest rates continue to be low, and I. But I think the real differential is because Japanese stocks have not been re-rated, so they're at the same level they were uh, about three or four years ago. Even though the Japanese market is up twenty percent over the last year, so. I think it's just another indication that, and we've said this for a while, we've, you and I have discussed this, that the US stocks are no bargain. We don't think they're obviously ahead for any type of fall. Um, and there are relatively more attractive valuations in Japan, also in Europe, which we've talked about here before, and also about emerging markets. But the Japanese one just uh, stood out, uh, and that's why we included it in the blog this week. And as uh, investors, turn to the international markets again. Um, are there any uh, risks, you know, are, are there any hedges that in, uh, international investors should look out for as they as they pour money or, or money flows back into these markets? I think there's two parts to your question, the, the, the risks uh, and the hedges. The, the risks are always going to be that the trade protectionism escalates. There's certainly been enough talk about it. Uh, whether or not NAFTA survives in its present form or not, for example, is very much up in the air. If there's uh, more charges of currency manipulation, that would tend to strengthen the dollar. That could be certainly a, a risk uh, for an investor going overseas that would otherwise see uh, less, uh, less, less value in their returning dollars. Um, and uh, the the, the the political risks in Europe have certainly mitigated since the Macron election, but we've still got another big uh, European election to go. Uh, and also, there's the kind of you know ever constant geopolitical risk about you know China and so on, but uh, China and uh, North Korea. But I think that generally these risks are, are well priced in. Uh, often we don't know what the big ones are, you know might come out of the left field to surprise us, but definitely I don't think the risks are are uh, insurmountable and certainly the valuations are still attractive. On the hedge side, the only real way to hedge is to do some sort of currency hedge. There are some ETFs which do that. They'll buy the local market and then sell the local currencies so you're not exposed to currency risk. And this sounds like a good idea, but, and this is the big but and it's why we don't use them, it's very expensive to hedge some of these uh, currencies. Uh, not only are you paying the interest rate differential between the two currencies at a minimum, so that's going to be, in the case of the yen, at least 2% a year, uh, but also some of, these, um, some of these hedges are just expensive because not a lot of people take those types of trades. So I think that there are some ways to hedge, but as in a lot of things, the expense of the hedge may not be worth it. And finally, uh, I want to turn to the title of the blog this week, Market Indifferent to Politics. That was certainly true as we saw this week. But, you know, kind of extrapolating that idea, because of the weak economic numbers, uh, how much of this complacency in the market 
do you see is due to kind of the legislative uh, limbo, um, the congressional kind of stalemate, the, the lack of new fiscal policy um, for the market to dissect? I think the market's totally indifferent to politics right now. I, I think um, the, the, the markets are cold-blooded animals. So they might look at what's going on in, in Washington, but it doesn't mean anything from a financial perspective. I mean, we'd like to think that there is, uh, you know, whatever your view is, the White House unable to pass some of its key legislation, a lot of disagreement about if and how and when or where or how how the fiscal uh, tax cuts or anything else will, will be paid for. But right now, nothing's happening. And, and markets don't mind uh, stasis. They don't mind things not happening. Um, and right now, the talk out of Washington is still bro broadly pro-business. Uh, it's broadly pro-deregulation or re-regulation. Uh, and generally, businesses will do well out of that. So I think anything that comes which along which would help the spending side or the tax side will be a bonus. Uh, and uh, so for now, I think um, you know, the politics are incredibly interesting from a historical point of view and from a societal point of view, but they aren't really affecting either stock or bond markets in any significant way. And, and we think they're not unlikely to do so uh, for a while. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Emily. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much. And here's a disclosure. Please note the discussion of our investments, investment strategy, including our research investment process represents our investments and investment strategy at day of this commentary. It's subject to change without notice. We cannot assure that the type of investments discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present the best or an attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. This is for general informational purposes only. References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. Securities mentioned in this commentary only as several of the successful and unsuccessful investments by us do not represent all the securities we have purchased or recommended. Although you deem reliable the source of the statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data. Past performance is no indication of future results.